There was no way. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. The Tim Graham Show. This is Sports Radio 1270. Just not hitting the hole. The fan. I know I'm going to get pimped. They're going to pimp me. Yeah, huh? I love sausage. Thank you, Tim. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber, it's all about the hole. Tim Graham Show. I diddled uh, some pole. Uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. I did have an accident with a menorah Here we once. Go. On Twitter at 1270, a fan. Wet ball. Taking your calls at 270 1270. What's up, baby? How you doing? Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. When's the last time you read the New Testament, huh? I'm trying to put my junk back in place. You're one of the guys I'm following on Twitter, you know. Well, I like this guy, uh, Tim Graham. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. I am Tim Graham of The Athletic, here with Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic, Jonah Bronstein, uh, working through some technical difficulties with the video. Uh, and the question is audio. Yeah. If anybody on the internet yeah. can't hear us, maybe let yeah, us let know. Yeah, let us know right away. Or, or not, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, right. But if they can't hear, they can't hear us saying this. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> You're going to have to give them sign language, Tim. Well, they could use the app and then have the picture oh, right, on the right. Periscope. It'd be like when you watch the game on TV, but mute it and turn on so the So you can listen broadcast. to Rick Jenneret. Right. Well, we'll see what happens. Or Jonah can just throw in his earphones and listen to the feed himself right here on the air while he's here in the studio. Bobby Rosati working diligently right up until the start of the show to try to get things uh, back together. It seems as though our studio was sabotaged. Uh, apparently. Some, I don't know how or why or who it was, but... Yeah. Somebody came in and was unplugging things, and uh, right everything. before we went on air, we realized that we uh, a bunch of our cords were... Bobby handled it very well. <laughs> he yeah, did. Only. Right, right. Very calmly. There was no cursing. It was like watching like MacGyver take a bomb apart. <laughs> we do have sound officially. I checked. All right. We are, uh, so we're, we're okay. To go. It was either like watching MacGyver take a bomb apart or Jason Bottrell watching his <laughs> Buffalo Sabres last night against the Ottawa Senators. So I was watching the Sabres-Senators game last night. A couple of things. Uh, this... Uh, and it passed along our regards. I think a lot of people have followed uh, both careers, people who listen to the show and um, know uh, the sports writers here in town and get to know them uh, quite a bit. And uh, I know that we also have a lot of the folks from uh, uh, within the business listen to the show. Uh, was uh, Amy Moritz, his mother passed away. People also probably remember Brian Moritz from his time with uh, the paper in Olean, and he's now a professor uh, teaching journalism uh but uh the wake was last night and uh on the way uh, home from the uh, wake uh, john vogel and i decided to slip into elmo's and watch the sabers game and chris baker joined us and um chris baker made this proclamation he says that the sabers are going to make the playoffs to which I bet him five dollars, and I gave him ten to one odds. So he wins fifty if they make it. Was that before? I the only game win five bucks. After the game? It was before the game, but still. Did he I mean wanted- one game's not going to make a difference? Now, it's, it's, if they if the Sabers had beaten Ottawa last night, I wouldn't have thought. Yeah, you know what? They will make the playoffs. <laughs> it seems like during a hockey season, there's moments where 
the perception can switch really quickly. And they were on that oh, yeah. little roll. And for the first time in a long time, I looked at the standings and thought, all right, you know, I wonder if they could close this gap. Right. And then after that game, it was like, yeah, forget it. Yeah. It's so, not just the points. It's the number of teams involved. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's eight points is a lot, especially eight points was a lot before the shootout came into play in 2005. And now that there are three point games all over the place in which, you know, it's hard to make up the ground. They'd have to go on an unthinkable run, basically. They'd have to do. People are talking about Tampa. Tampa right now has won however many? 10 or 13 11. or 11. Uh, and people are talking about how incredible that is. And Tampa's a really good team. They've won 10. Now, so the Sabres are going to have to turn into the Tampa Bay Lightning to make a run at it. They'll just need to pull out another one of those 10-game win streaks they had. Sure. Easy come, easy go. They're all, they're all over the place. You just go rummaging around for it. There's probably some. There's probably an equipment room down there yeah, at the arena where they hide these 10-game win streaks. They've just been waiting to bust it out. They didn't want to do it too early. And so uh, the other thing that came up last night at the bar, classic barroom conversation, but I actually thought I'd maybe I'd do a story on it. Maybe I will still look into it a little bit more in depth, but I thought it would be a great topic to talk about on the show. So we were discussing the trade deadline and Marco Scandella being dealt from Montreal to St. Louis for a second-round pick and everybody uh, going ape doo-doo because Jason Bottrell traded him to Montreal for a fourth-round pick. Now there are extenuating circumstances that I think a lot of people aren't remembering uh, or, or, or choosing to admit because they just want Jason Bottrell's head on a pike in Alumni Plaza right in front of the statue of the, the, the French Connection, or maybe in front of the Tim Hortons. I don't know, whichever one. But a head, a head on a pike somewhere down there in a prominent place. Uh, but let's remember that St. Louis was dealing from a place of desperation. They had a defenseman almost die on the bench just a few days ago. So they're desperate, so they overpaid. And Montreal's picking up half of Marco Scandella's salary, which is the Sabres didn't do. So clearly, Montreal's going to get more back. So anyways, so I digress. So we were talking about uh, trade possibilities, Chris Baker, John Vogel, and I. And I just said, for fun, what would it take to trade Jack Eichel? To which John Vogel passed out and... Uh, or John. <laughs> and, like uh, Jay Bomeister. <laughs> Chris, yeah, Chris Baker had a seizure, and uh, they said how stupid it was. And I, to my response was, and, and John Vogel says, the this, this fans would, with everything that's gone on, the fans would riot, and which is probably true. Depending on who traded him, right? If it were Jason Bottrell, it would be. That'd be the end. That, that's right. <laughs> if it were the new GM, it might be like, oh, well, maybe this guy's got a plan. <laughs> right. But here's my response. Yes, it's ridiculous. They're not going to trade Jack Eichel. But if there and there is a segment of Buffalo sports fans out there, a pretty large one, I think, that insist that they prefer Tredavious White, Tremaine Edmonds, and Josh Allen, and also Zay Jones was part of that part of that whole mishmash of moves, instead of Patrick Mahomes. And I think that there is kind of a there's a analogy there. Well, Zay Jones tips the scales a little bit. <laughs> well, 
All right, so let's just eliminate Zay Jones. He's no longer on the well, roster. Zay Jones was part of the trade. Josh Allen technically wasn't, but if you're right. comparing what they assets that were turned into for. other yeah. things, and so if there are Bills fans out there, and there are, I don't want to say if they're out there who insist that they would rather have three pretty good players instead of the reigning Super Bowl MVP, and last year he was the MVP. Jack Eichel's having an MVP caliber season right now, so my question then is, what's the difference? If you think that those three or four players are needed to rebuild your team, or you'd rather have your talent spread out a little bit, why not? then why not be for trading Jack Eichel for four, three or four really good players? Maybe a couple, throw in a couple of all-star, borderline all-stars in there. I think the difference in those two scenarios is that when the Bills trade, the Bills did not trade Patrick Mahomes. They didn't have Patrick Mahomes. They could have had Patrick Mahomes, and they should have had Patrick Mahomes. But trading Jack Eichel, I think, would be a little bit harder for fans to wrap their head around because they've seen how good he is. Trading the number 10 pick, well... Well, that's in the moment, but I'm just saying as as um, for the sure. basis of this the, discussion, the if, if you would it. flip it around, because there are, that discussion's been made. I've seen it on social media all over the place. I've heard uh, the talk shows. Would you trade those three players for Patrick Mahomes right now? And yeah. there are people who and say then, no. Yeah, well, and those people are out of their mind. Yeah. The, I mean, the Bills would trade their entire defense for Pat Mahomes right now. Most teams, the Chiefs wouldn't trade Pat right. Mahomes, <laughs> which right. tells you everything you need to know about what his price tag. The Chiefs would wouldn't take uh, Buffalo's entire defense for right. uh, for that's that's the way I should <laughs> which phrase was it. the biggest problem. Yeah, for them. And, right, and it's a good defense too. You know, it's it not includes a the guy defense. we're talking about, right. Trey White and and Tremaine Edmonds, and throw in a couple of and really good top safeties 10 pick and, and Ed Oliver. Yeah, I mean, it, I don't, I still don't think it would. It would be enough. And you might say that the difference is, obviously, it's two different sports, and so maybe the difference is Patrick Mahomes can have a much bigger impact or a quarterback of that level can have a much bigger impact on overall team success than Jack Eichel could, right? But wouldn't that make you more likely to be open to trading Jack Eichel? Because a quarterback is going – just having a quarterback of Patrick Mahomes' level puts you in contention for the Super Bowl every year. Yep. Clearly, just having a center of Jack Eichel's talent does not put you in the Stanley Cup conversation every year because the Sabres have been dreadful in every season. Now, so you could maybe make the case, especially if you're of the unstable mind to say that you would rather have – Trey White, Tremaine Edmonds, and Josh yeah. Allen than Patrick Mahomes, Ooh. then you would certainly be more than willing to do it in a sport where four contributors and, you know, presumably you'd get a really nice return. Would, sure. You know, Jack Eichel alone isn't winning you much. You take a goaltender, you get a defenseman, a, number, a, first a, top, a top pair defenseman. Yeah, get all that stuff. Two centers, who knows? I mean, it would all depend on the price. But, yeah, if you're able to talk yourself into the Patrick Mahomes trade being no big deal, then I'm sure you'd be able to talk yourself into the into Jack Eichel, a Jack Eichel trade. <laughs> Jack like Eichel's said, not quite Patrick Mahomes. Maybe he's close, but he's not the best player at the most important position right. in 
People are saying Pat Mahomes is the best athlete in the world. I mean, people are saying that. Can you say that about Jack Eichel? I don't know. With his age and already have won in MVPs and Super Bowls, he's probably the biggest <laughs> trade asset in all of sports, maybe. But he wasn't. Which would say then, which would. Uh, Make it easier to right. trade Right. What Jack if he just traded that guy for Patrick Mahomes straight up? <laughs> I think. Do you think, do you think Buffalo sports fans would do that? Like if you could trade uh, cross sports, that yeah. would make the tank Intra-sport. ultimately worth it. Right? If to make yeah to get <laughs> you're right, both, it, would, it would maybe help get the Bills to the Super Bowl. But what are you bargaining there? I was we were, me and Jonah were talking too, and before the show, aren't you bargaining the I future? Didn't, I, you guys weren't talking. I, you guys were yelling. Right, we were yelling because at each the other. cords were unplugged. <laughs> well, I was yelling. There were f bombs. Right. Yeah, they're not suitable for people's the names were <laughs> used in vain. <laughs> yes, they were. Your report seems to be changing from earlier. Uh, well, I was trying to smooth it over. No, Jonah, I Jonah said he was really calm, and then yeah. I looked at Jonah, and I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> he was, Yeah, it was like Jason Bottrell. It was like, you. you know, it was like John Warrow on deadline. It was like Tom Coughlin <laughs> when the Jaguars were losing in Buffalo, and yes. he was bouncing off the walls. <laughs> His fa- I've never seen anybody's face so red. So, Bobby, I'm sorry. No, that's all right. I, Finish I, your thought. Aren't please. we? Aren't we? Con, kind of. Aren't you kind of considering future versus present when you talk about those guys, or are we just talking about for for the year or, or careers? Are we talking about careers? Well, it's for everything. It's it, all the all the things that go into making a trade. So yeah, it's based on they've accomplished things already. So but they're both young they players. Are. Yeah, they're both young players, and you get to you get to keep them forever. Well, as long as they want to keep coming back and re-signing contract. Right, right. That's another thing, too, with Jack Eichel, although he's under contract yeah. for a while. But at what point does he say, does he get to the end of his contract and say, guys, I'm out? Or does he start I'm going to the Bruins. demanding a trade or agitating for a trade? Because I don't think it doesn't make any sense for the Sabres to trade Jack Eichel in the context of, you know, they tanked one season and all this, you know, race to the bottom to get Jack Eichel and then build with Jack Eichel and then to trade him away to start that over. It's like these baseball teams that are just farm teams for the other big market baseball teams. It would really crush the fan base, I think, just the optics of trading the right. guy that you tank I'm, for. And please, don't anybody misinterpret. This is just a discussion for fun. I'm not advocating trading Jack Eichel. I find it to be kind of ridiculous. But, but a time may come down the line when but, it makes sense with right. his contract and his age and if he doesn't want to be here and if there's a new general manager at some point. But the counter to it is it's not if you th- if you think that it's okay that the Bills have what they have instead of Patrick Mahomes, then that's that's kind of the the discussion here. But I did say in my mailbag just last week, uh, I was asked about uh, Jack Eichel and uh, I think I'd have to go back and find the exact question, but my response was, hey, the Edmonton Oilers traded Wayne Gretzky, so these things do happen on occasion. Now, the Oilers couldn't afford to pay him anymore, and that was you know, pre-salary Didn't they cap set the town on fire? Pretty much. Try to prevent him from leaving the country? <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, but I did say that the point of trading, I- Eichel's not going anywhere because, in the phrase I used, was the Sabres went through the Andy Dufresne sludge pipe, like in Shawshank Redemption, came out into the rain and had it when Jack Eichel was the the water that right. washed the the sludge off that that was a tank they went through too much to they, to ever get rid of Jack case, Eichel they're still going through the sludge pipe yes they are they went back in they dragged they, him they're, back. they're trying to break it they're trying to break into prison apparently is what the was what it looks like 
What if there was an opportunity to trade Jack Eichel for Connor McDavid or another star? I guess that was an easy. That would be an easy decision. To well, make. I mean, that's what it, it. I mean, you're not getting Connor McDavid, but you'd have to get some young rising star and then some type of return. But I think to your overall point, if you can be okay with what the Bills have instead of Patrick Mahomes, in a sport like hockey, you'd be even more okay with a similar return. Now, the problem would be that nobody would trust Jason Bottrell to get a good return at all. He'd trade him for... A he'd, bag of pucks. Yeah. And he'd get Marco Scandella yeah. and Alex Steen. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly. He just <laughs> right. goes get back all his old <laughs> yeah. players that he got rid of. Look, guy, look, up. we got Ryan O'Reilly back. Everybody, <laughs> Ryan, get Miller off my ends back up here now. somehow. But yeah. what if it was Evander a new, Kane. a new general manager or this president of hockey operations that everybody seems to want so badly, and they came in and they said, "Sorry to say, but the only way to rebuild this team is to make the Herschel Walker trade, take our best player, and get as much as we possibly can." for him and start over, would Sabres fans ex- accept that again? A lot of them wouldn't, but aren't there probably still – it's a shrinking portion of the fan base, but isn't there probably still a portion of the fan base that hasn't really embraced Jack Eichel because of the sludge pipe it took to get him? For a while it was – he couldn't do – nothing he could do was good enough. I think now he's finally starting to I, erase yeah. some of that, but there was – for a while, a good segment of the fan base that thought this guy isn't worth it, this guy's not that good. Yeah. Now, of course, it's hard to even say any of that, but people thought he he was immature or wasn't ready to be the face of the franchise. There's always been people piling on him. I think it's less so now because I think you're an idiot if you pile on him at this point. He's you know doing everything right, but uh, there's people that would be angry when he got traded and given the way a lot of fans are it's not buffalo fans it's sports fans they would talk themselves into it they would whoever came back if it were alex steen they'd be buying the jersey <laughs> that's right you like know? how you picked up on that one <laughs> the guy who's Al- been around for 20 years alex steen and a third round pick they'd be taught they'd be watching highlights of that third round pick in their until they went to bed at night so i i think People would talk themselves into it because they they can talk themselves into well, anything. Well, maybe, maybe I, I go back a ways. Uh, let for instance, uh, when Michael Pecca was traded for Tim Connolly and Taylor Pyatt. Now, Michael Pecca was Captain Crunch. He was everything that a Buffalo sports fan wanted. He was the center. He was the captain. He was the grit guy. He went out and he hit and he he did all kinds of. All the all the blue collar stuff you could hope for, um, Selkie Award winner I think did he win a Selkie? Who's that? M- Michael Pecca did he win a Selkie? Uh, yeah, I think so. He was either a runner up or he won. Curtis one. Brown also was uh, in the mix. He didn't win the Selkie. I think he finished second or third one year too. But anyways, so Michael Pecca gets traded after his uh, year long holdout, and even with that. Well, it wasn't a holdout technically. It was a contract dispute. He was not under contract. He won two Frank Selke Awards. Two. 96, 97, 01, 02. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, So one with the Islanders. One with the Sabres, one with the Islanders. Um, Is that right? Yep. Okay. So. That's exactly right. Exactly the type of player that 
Sabres fans loved, even though he didn't play the one year and he might have made the difference in terms of uh, the Sabres getting to the Stanley Cup Finals uh, in Dominic Hasek's last year. Uh, but anyways, Tim Connolly and Taylor Pyatt come in, these teenagers practically, and baby-faced and uh, Tim Connolly. Now that's a guy who could do no- nothing right for several years because he was a he was a figure skater, a ballerina. He look at him out there. He's right. a playmate. He's exactly what fans weren't used to. It was Dominic Hasek and a bunch of defensive-minded forwards, and they they'd score just enough to win because Hasek would hold the the other team to one or zero goals on a regular basis, and. Sabres fans weren't used to having a player like Tim Connolly. And now Dominic Hasek's gone, and he was a playmaker. And, it, and, and he, that wasn't the style of hockey quite yet. Yeah. Right. Like that was just starting after the lockout. So it was, you know what I mean? There was well, that, that was even before the lockout. Right, right. So, but, it, but yeah, three years. Like, right, exactly. It's, it's like 05, 06 is when you get that yes. big, huge bump in all. Then everybody came around to Tim Connolly once they saw what, you know, that, yeah. that you needed players like that because the Sabres don't have Dominic Hasek anymore. <laughs> anyway. Just a long rant there, Matt. As I was, it's not always that doesn't always just be like, all right, this is our guy now. But it depends. There would be Alex Steen jerseys. I think it would depend again on who made the trade. If it were Bottrell, it would be. It wouldn't matter what they got back. It would be a horrible deal. That's true. Because he can't do anything right. Whoever gets traded by Monday, the NHL trade deadline being Monday. Uh, whoever gets traded will immediately become a Buffalo he- sports hero. He will <laughs> yes. be the best guy. Like, oh my God! Oh, we missed it. Oh, he was. <laughs> like we when, missed our chance. It's the opposite of when somebody goes to the Patriots, right? No, right? <laughs> right. oh, <laughs> damn it! Antonio Brown signed with the Patriots. Ah, oh, we should have got him. <laughs> yeah, complete. Opposite. What? <laughs> Antonio Brown. If he doesn't sign with the, if he signs with uh, the Saints, even like mm-hmm. a really good team, if he signs with the Chiefs, and then people are like, we don't want him. Yeah. But as soon as he signed with the Patriots, we're like, ah, Brandon Bean asleep at the switch. <laughs> All right, we're gonna hit a break here. We'll come back. We'll talk about this and whatever the hell else we want to, if if that isn't apparent already. When we come back on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Give me both numbers if you can, okay? The Tim Graham Show. It's about to get real. No matter where I'm at, somebody's going to feel me. This is Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Can you handle this? But he does have intriguing language. You only caught me with a joy. Oh, wrong one. Tim Graham Show on the Fan Tins app. Free to download in the App Store. Horses are athletes. Sure are. Now back to the Tim Graham Show. One of our sponsors is... Is a horse. The Fan. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK. Here on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan, I'm Tim Graham, here with Matthew Fairburn, Jonah Bronstein, Bobby Rosati, Ditto and the Knobs, getting some Rockwell on for us, to go along with the fact that we were able to get our video ready to go right before the show. Bobby pulled it off. He's getting another game ball. Well, Jonah did help. Yeah, I didn't see it that way. 
I, I saw helped it. keep Bobby calm. He's the, yeah, he's the video man. I have to give him credit. I saw Jonah reach into the the hole over there that has the cords in it and pulling them out, saying, "Are these supposed to be unplugged or whatever?" He was saying, "I'm like, and I, what? I identified the problem." <laughs> oh. So we were just talking about the. Uh, The likelihood? No. What were we? T- it's not even the likelihood. It's not going to happen. A fantastic scenario. Yeah, we're just fantasy talk- that you yeah. have. Well, it's not a fact. I thought it was worth discussing. And feel free to call in two seventy twelve seventy if you want to call in and give us your thoughts about uh, my my thought that Jack Eichel being traded is not as ridiculous as fans who say they'd rather have. People are going to pick up on this Trey thing White, that you're Josh hinting Allen. that maybe you're laying the groundwork for a Jack Eichel trade. Nobody's going to pick up on this. <laughs> you're trying to lay the sludge pipe for him to <laughs> get right out of town. <laughs> I'm trying to take the sludge pipe. <laughs> That's how it works. They get an influential journalist like you to put up the trial balloon. Right. See how the fans react to the... I got a call from PSE earlier today, and they said, Tim, we'd like you just to throw out the idea of Jack Eichel getting traded just to see what happens. <laughs> and that way we'll know. It's, it's crowdsourcing. And Soften we'll the an, blow. Yeah, we'll have really an idea it. as to whether or not the fans would go for it. And I'm if they're the going for it, then we're going to pull the trigger. I mean, so far we have no calls, so I assume everybody's okay with they're it. On board. I think so. When you put this up as a podcast and it says, could the Sabres trade Jack Eichel? Question mark. That's going to get a lot of attention. Oh, yeah. You know what's going to get some attention? We're going to have uh, Pat Yasinskis on today. Uh, he's my old uh, colleague at ESPN.com. He covered the NFC South. Pat Yasinskis now uh, writes for uh, the XFL. And we're going to talk to him about the league, how it's uh, been going here through a couple of weeks, and dig into the D.C. Defenders. A lot of Buffalo connections with the D.C. Yeah. Defenders. Tyree Jackson? Cardell Jones is still undefeated as a starting quarterback. All kinds of stuff. UB, uh, O'Leary, uh, the center. James O'Hagan. James O'Hagan. Center. O'Leary. What else? On the defenders? Yeah. A.J. Tarpley's on the defenders. A.J. Tarpley. I don't know that Pat Yasinskis is going to have a lot uh, a take on A.J. Tarpley <laughs> as much as he does, say, Pep Hamilton, the coach. There's only one way to find out. Cardell Jones. We'll ask him about it. Jason Lloyd. From the athletic, he he's in Cleveland, and he wrote a story yesterday, and he's been at the forefront of reportage on John Beeline and the Cavs parting ways. It would appear to be in the cards. Not that's, a good done deal now. Not a good season for Beeline coaches, except for one up at Niagara County Community College. That's right. How are they doing? Twenty-two and four. If not twenty three and four, N Triple C, and the the thing that's crazy about that is that N Triple C's women's team has an even better record than that. Only one loss, I think, for the the Thunderwolves, yep, the Lady Thunderwolves. Where do we 26 stand? Twenty six and one with the women. Where do we stand with nicknames where the women's teams are the Lady something? I'm against it. I'm against it too. Sometimes, and actually, they don't do this at Buffalo, but a bull is a male animal, so a Lady Bulls that's kind of an oxymoron, but. Yeah, I don't really like doing that unless they really insist on that's that's our name. 
What the if, Lady Thunderwolves? I think whichever team has the better record, since the women have the better record, it should be they're the Thunderwolves and the men's team is the fellow Thunderwolves. The fellow? <laughs> <laughs> the gentlemanly Thunderwolves. They escort the team from game to game. <laughs> the Squires. The Thunder Squires. So would you change it to like the Bullets? The, bull, no, I the Bullets. Or the Bullets. Th- yeah. yeah, right. No, the Lady Bulls would be cows. Oh, so can't that's they just offensive. Be the you can't say you be cows. Is somebody going to be confused if they're? But you be mostly goes with bulls. You don't hear them say lady bulls really ever. I, I think they 20, used 30 to years ago. They did. I don't but. even think it was that long ago. Maybe even ten years ago, they used to be called the Royals. A lot of people forget that. Really? The women's teams were called the Royals, and the men's teams were the Bulls. They had totally separate uh, separate nicknames. But that makes a little bit of sense to do it that way. So, yeah, so they're not the cows. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> but you hear it at high school all the time. The lady this, the lady that. I don't like it. I, I think yeah, you why hear separate it from old-timey sports writers sometimes. But then the teams themselves do actually do it. I avoid it when I'm writing high schools pretty much all the time. I can't even think of an example. But there might be one or two. It's sexist. Where, But it, it might be so known. that the, I, I think about Tennessee, the Lady Vols. People say that all the time. So sometimes that's it's just become part of the vernacular. But I, I would... Avoid saying lady before the nickname in almost all cases if I could. It's pretty unnecessary. Right. It's not as if the men's and women's teams were playing in the same game and you need to differentiate. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was the Lady Wolves. Yeah. Balls, by the way. You know, the Lady Thunderwolves. It sort of seems like like Game of Thrones, like my lady. Like people do it <laughs> yeah. out of respect. Right. <laughs> my lady bulls. Right. But it's almost the complete opposite. It's just been around since... I don't know, I, the beginning of sports, right? I mean, people have just done that to differentiate. Oh, in the beginning or of sports, sports, women, women sports. Yeah, no. This goes back to our can. discussion about butt rock, I think. Which, by the way, let, let's put a pit in that for a second. I would um, love to we talked know about how you're going to connect this right, to butt so rock. Butt rock. Well, it just said milady. And what's that? <laughs> you that? make a note. <laughs> okay, butt rock. Butt rock. I'm milady. writing it down. <laughs> so you were saying milady, and that's that song where the guy says, Come, my lady. Come, come, my oh, lady. Yeah. Can we get that as the bump? That's like a butt rock group. That's like one of the all-time worst, like white trash <laughs> yeah. bands. Who was that? What was? That's th- Crazy Town. They were Crazy one, Town. One, one hit wonder, though, right? Well, let, thank God. But yeah, I mean, it's kind of like um, bare naked ladies, that kind of thing, right? What? No. Yeah, like, yeah, they're Bare naked ladies have a bunch of hits. They do? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> You're supposed to be the music guy, Bobby. Well, Bare naked stuff. ladies. And they're big in Buffalo. Buffalo is one of their yeah. proving grounds because yeah, they came out of Toronto. Yeah, I'm a rock guy. And, well, bare na- naked bare ladies. Bare naked ladies are, is That's rock and roll. roll. Bobby probably knows all of the B side singles for Crazy Town, though. I think we've maybe hit a more absurd take than trading Jack Eichel is that bare naked <laughs> ladies is kind of rock. Yeah, so or that crazy. Bare naked ladies is a one-hit wonder. I think that's a <laughs> so get this wild take. <laughs> so get this, sports fans. I thought about it, and why not us? We talked about it on the show. I've had discussions about the the philosophy of butt rock, what it is, and for those who maybe didn't hear the show, uh, butt rock is like Nickelback. It is like white white guy. Angry, angry white guy rock, right? What, Bobby? We, we like, the it's dad rock. It's a, it's almost dad rock. It's not Foo Fighters because I like them, but it's like dad you know, rock. It's like yeah, dad rock. It's for it's more consistent. There's, like they don't Chevelle. take a lot of leaps. Yeah, it's like Caesar. Just simple, simple riffs, simple chord progressions that Here's are easy a, to bop your we head. We had a to. good Urban Dictionary definition yeah, that I, I that, that right? I wanted to. It's 
talked about guys and Ed what Hardy do you have it there? I'm oh, Ed Hardy t shirts. That was a big one. All right, so <laughs> Houston the Houston Press did a story on the top ten butt rock bands of all time and the Houston Press, you know, these alternative uh weeklies generally are it, tapped into the music scene and, and they have very sharp writers when it comes to uh comes to the music scene. Um Oh, they actually quote they quote uh, uh, Urban Dictionary also. Do you have it there? It says butt rock is overly commercialized processed music that lacks innovation and creativity. Exactly. Butt rock predominantly targets a demographic of blue collar workers, generally men, eighteen to forty five, <laughs> who drink cheap light beer, have a fascination with big trucks, avidly watch Monday night football and are wannabe UFC fighters. <laughs> Yeah, like that kind of okay wraps it up in a tidy little. <laughs> and then bag. the Houston pro- the Houston like Press article uh, where they talk about the top ten butt rock bands of all time says butt rock is that musical stank on your shoe that you can't get off. <laughs> it's one part aggro noise, one part self indulgent and whiny singer, and somehow a whole lot of douche. <laughs> so the bands that they have in here are Theory of a Dead Man, Three Days Grace. Puddle of Mud, Chevelle, as uh, Matt so astutely uh, added. Anne Berlin, uh, Breaking Benjamin, oh. 30 Seconds to Mars, Hinder. Stone Sour Seether. That's, that's false. That is false. Stone sh- Sour is not that uh, is not Stone Sour rock. is probably it, they are rock. They are they, Slipknot in and a different Shine form. Down. Is yeah. number one. The only one I would tell According you and to argue to death is Stone Sour. If you listen to Slipknot, which is the exact same band, basically, it, it's Stone just Sour? like a... Yeah. Lead, lead singer Corey Taylor, um, Jim... Um, I can't remember his last name. Guitarist. Yeah, most of them are all... Sounds like Bobby might be a closet butt rock. Oh, now, listen to this. Now, let me get around <laughs> to what point, I, my right? point I was going to make. Now that we've defined butt rock for the listeners, right. I think that we, here at the Tim Graham Show, I'm looking at... Four good board members of the Butt Rock Hall of Fame. Mm. I think that we should establish a Butt Rock Hall of Fame. It doesn't need to be a building, like a place where you go just yet. We'll seek funding for that. Of course, maybe we'll build it, uh, I don't know, maybe down at the canal side or something. Or maybe we'll put it in what the soon-to-be vacant Buffalo News building. <laughs> uh that's all right. Hey, Bobby. That's all right. You're allowed to... Got to hit my mic on those. Um, or we could put it in at uh, Eastern Hills Mall. Yeah, I feel like... You know, there are a lot of empty... Niagara Falls Boulevard. A lot of empty you know. places uh, at the Eastern Hills Mall. There's a lot of space at the McKinley Mall. Could probably, you know, find, find a spot for it there. McKin- I feel like Butt Rock belongs in a strip mall. The Butt Rock Hall of Fame belongs in a strip yeah, mall. Yeah, it's a, it's set a suburban strip mall. You know what? It's currently just had uh, like a workout facility, but there was the storefront right next to Elmo's in Getzville has been vacant for a long, long time. And maybe if this place doesn't work out, we can move right in next to Elmo's. We'll put a hole in the wall, like a door. You can walk right from Elmo's and go right into the Butt Rock Hall of Fame <laughs> and see the bronze statues of, you know, you to, to see their nickelback. Me. There's a door in the Elmo's men's room, and it goes right to the Butt Rock Hall of Fame. Yeah, there you go. With a, and it's got to be like beads, what like about, one of those beaded doorways. What about the Lady Bead Hall curtain. of Fame? If the that's the in the men's room, we're gonna have to have one in the Lady. Yeah, is the there a Lady, lady rock. Butt Rock? Yeah. Well, there is a there is a 
caveat here on this Urban Dictionary definition. Got to make sure there's nothing overly uh, inappropriate in here. But it I says, think you can stop women, yourself. <laughs> women that listen to butt rock are usually huge fans of Guns N' Roses and are drawn to the subgenre by the subconscious influence of corporate agenda or out of su- sympathy for their significant other's terrible local band. Mm. All right. So I think we... <laughs> now, how does this tie into Milady. lady sports? Come, my lady. Come, come, my lady. Right. That The crazy town. It just clicked your, crazy clicked town. your thought yeah. process. I get so that. I hid that. So, it, yeah, that's that's a look inside. So it was the, just a segue. It, it was, was not. It you were tying the two <laughs> topics together. It was a sequence of events. I heard Milady. I needed to hear Crazy Town. Crazy Town made me think of Butt Rock. Butt Rock made me think of my idea of a Hall of Fame. I've been listening to this awful music in the background the whole segment. <laughs> All right, we're gonna get we're gonna have Pat Yasinskis on after the break. We're gonna talk about the XFL. So, Bobby, if we can go to break with some Crazy Town. Oh, we can go to break with Crazy Town. Absolutely. I would love that, and let's hear it from the beginning. You want the? Uh... Isn't there a lot of swearing in that? Oh, maybe. Yeah. All right, let's just how let's just go to a break. How about I get you the instrumental of it? Let me go for that. Uh, this is too much work. No, it's right now. Oh, here we go. Ooh, that pr- it puts you in a place, doesn't it? If you it takes know you back in too. time. Woo. I don't, but you're going to have to learn the words, Bobby, because yeah, you're going to be the chairman and CEO of the <laughs> Butt Rock Hall of Fame <laughs> when I can no longer carry on the duties. Right. When they get to be too much. All right, we come back. We're going to have Pat Yasinskis from XFL.com to talk about uh, the new startup league and how it's been doing here after a couple of weeks. When we come back on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. It's puny. That's funny. Sorry, Russ Brandon is not available. Tim, I do tremendous numbers of deals. In fact, I'm doing one today. Tim Graham Show. Pulls down your leg. Yeah. <laughs> On Sports Radio 1270. I don't know what you're going to do. The fan. Perhaps the greatest of all time. The, the Tim, Tim Graham, Graham Show. Out of hell. The fan. What the hell is this music? Brand, brand new glass animals. I don't know that. Uh, they are, they're like indie rock kind of fusion with like jungle rock. It's weird. Yeah, I know. I knew you'd laugh at that one. Yeah, I'm not a fan. <laughs> well, you know what? I don't want to say that. I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of, uh, yeah, I'm not a fan. Yeah. It's processed. It's, there's not a lot of interest. I'll, I'll, maybe I'll need to hear it a few more times. Well, before the last segment, I never thought that would be the best song we'd hear all show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's been a wild turn. You're not uh, crazy town is not uh it's still like banging in my head. I'm not happy with it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We'll get something for Jonah. Maybe we'll have Pat Yasinskis make a request. <laughs> Pat Yasinskis of XFL.com used to be my teammate uh, at ESPN when I covered the AFC East. Pat covered the NFC South. He's based down in Tampa, and uh, so he's had a pretty up-close uh, look at uh, what's been going on at the XFL for the last couple of weeks. Uh, Pat, thanks for coming on. Anything for you, my old friend. Uh, I know that's not true. 
<laughs> so Pat, uh, uh, we had we had some good times back in the day. We did. I, I remember running up a uh, a tab on someone else's room one night. Yes, you. we did that <laughs> at the Super Bowl. Uh, that was the Saints Colts Super Bowl, and uh, we. Uh, We'll have to tell that story. Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic sitting here next to me, and he's done this before, so he wants to, I think, compare notes. I can't. I don't want to say, did the person I, I ever find had, out who it was? Can I say it? He didn't find out that it was us, but he found out that he, he caught it on his bill and got it taken off. Yeah. I think it was... Uh, he had a meltdown. I think it was about, about $90. So, yeah, at the Super Bowl, that's like three hotel drinks. Hotel bar drinks. <laughs> we probably much. had three three cocktails for ninety bucks. <laughs> so Pat, uh, you're covering the XFL now, and that's intriguing because it's been fun to watch, and I think a lot of people are rooting for the XFL to succeed because after the AAF and people still have romantic thoughts of uh, what the USFL could have been, and all these leagues they they come and go, but this one seems to be getting off uh, with some with some traction. With some good yes. football, some good production values, the way the the rules are intriguing. Um, I, I guess what's been your your take for the first couple of weeks on uh, on the rollout? Uh, basically, I think it's been great. I think it's been better than they expected. Um, attendance has been uh, better than expected, uh, in large part thanks to Seattle. Um, they they turned out uh, thirty thousand last week, um, and they play again uh, this week. And coming off a win, I think they'll top that 30,000 mark. Um, everybody else has been drawing um, 17, 18,000, but you're going to see some of those go up, especially Houston and uh, Washington, D.C., um, because those two teams are, are clearly the uh, class of the league, and uh, they're, they're both undefeated, and I think they're uh, really catching on and becoming the face of the league. Um, Overall, everybody I talk to is like you. You're, they're impressed with the level of play. It's not the NFL, but it's. I would compare it to a good college, good college football game. Uh, it's better than the than the Alliance was. Um, certainly better than Arena Ball. Um, you know, I I think it's got a chance to be like the USFL. Um, although they're never going to try to compete with the NFL. Um, they're going to stick with their plan of being a spring league. And um, I think eventually try to work a uh, a relationship with the NFL as a minor league system to the NFL, which I think would would be a great idea. I think it's very much needed. And as far as the rules, I think they're great. Uh, I love the kickoff. Um, you know, people aren't aren't getting concussions because they're not allowed to start running until the uh, receiver catches the ball. Um, I think it's much much more uh, safe that way. Um, I, I like the conversions, uh, one point, two point, three points, even though nobody's really had much left with any of them. Um, and finally, I love the media access. Um, although it kind of went in a bad direction. I don't know if you saw the Matt McGoin interview. I don't think that was a bad direction. I liked it. I thought it was refreshing. <laughs> I, I, now, it I went loved a, it. It I went in a bad direction. <laughs> yeah. The league, the league did not love it. Um, I, it, it was raw emotion, and as reporters, journalists, you know, but that's that's what we live for. Um, and I've never seen a quarterback do that. Um, and I love the fact that they're getting interviews, not only at halftime but during the game, 
Um, you know, a player comes off after scoring a touchdown, and right away he's on camera and getting asked, well, okay, what was the play, what went right, what went right on it. And um, I think it's just great um, insight for the fans. And uh, the, also the uh, hearing the play calls uh, from the coaches, I think that's brilliant. And finally, uh, the replay system, I think, is tremendous. That might be the best thing of all. Um, because you get to hear the replay official think out loud of what exactly he's seeing and making the call, and he's doing it in 35 or 45 seconds. It's not one of those where you go to commercial and you look at it 15 different ways. It's very quick, and uh, I think it's been very effective so far. Yeah, we're, uh, we're in conversation with Pat Yasinskis of XFL.com here on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. And, uh, Pat, one of the other things, uh, well, first off, the transparency is terrific, and it's the type of thing that once you get that transparency, I think you're going to see, or at least you hope to see the NFL adopt some of these things. And this is where the XFL oh, yeah. really can be um, uh, beneficial to all sports is uh, it's a trial. Uh, it's a, it's an experiment. Uh, it's in a Petri dish. And then these other leagues look at it, see what's work, uh, see what works. And then they, they bring it into their uh, fold and make it part of their broadcast. So hopefully we get to see that transparency uh, in the NFL from their replay officials. Cause it's sorely needed. You wonder what the hell anybody was right. looking at. If the fix is in, you know, it, that's not true, but fans still right. think that think it's rigged and uh, this, there's uh the, the league's out to get them, uh, whatever. And then you see exactly what the uh, replay official was thinking, and it all that stuff kind of washes away. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I, I think it's just great to hear exactly what he's thinking because, they're, they're like you said, they're very transparent. Um, he's, he's thinking out loud and sharing it with the audience. And... Um, Really, I don't think I've seen a blown call so far. Um, I think they've been excellent with that. And, uh, and the officials in general, um, have done a good job. There has, you know, there have been a fair amount of replays. Um, but, uh, in general, I think the, the officials are doing a very good job. And these are, um, you know, not a lot of people know this. These are college officials, most of them from Power Five conferences. Um, so they're pretty, uh, pretty good uh, officials to have and uh, they're doing a great job with it so far uh pat i think that uh we've come a long way since when we were at espn we were forbidden uh, I'm, I'm not telling you anything you don't know but i'm saying it for the <laughs> for the sake of the audience we were forbidden from even referencing anything that had anything to do with gambling a point spread uh exactly. an over oh, under uh, who yeah. was favored? Any of it? None. The odds to win the Super Bowl or the odds, which is all fascinating stuff, and I think makes for, you know, adds to the analysis. And uh, but, anyways, lo- that was a long time ago, and now the XFL is uh, shown on ESPN. You see the gambling aspect of it all over the place, um, and I I think that the NFL is probably going to be adopting some of the XFL's gambling. Um, oh, they're going to. Yeah. What 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 can you tell us about that? Well, it's it's a big part of the uh, XFL's plan uh, is the gambling. They want to emphasize that, and I think that's brilliant. Uh, you know, they're they're they've got a. Uh, I was just looking at our website. Uh, we're running a weekly feature now, um, betting betting advice, 
which, um, you know, in our ESPN days, if we tried something like that, we would have been gone. Um, but uh, I, I think the gambling is what's going to make this league work. Um, I know a couple of my friends who are, I didn't realize they were so heavy into gambling, um, but they're, they could care less about the XFL, but they just want to put down a bet every week and this gives them a chance, and therefore they're watching the XFL on television, and that's helping the uh, the TV ratings. And the TV ratings, they did drop a little in week two, um, but they're they're still better than the Alliance ever was. Um, and I, th- I think they'll grow as the league catches on. And the gambling is, like I said, it's a big part of their uh, their overall scheme, and they're emphasizing it and embracing it. Um, which I think you're right. The XF or the NFL will follow suit on that now that uh, gambling is legal in so many places, and now that there's a team in Las Vegas, um, you know, which would have been taboo ten years ago uh, to put a team in Las Vegas, um, but uh, you know it's happening now, and uh, I, I think the gambling is going to drive the XFL uh, and really help it succeed. Pat, you mentioned the the TV ratings there. They've been strong, even with a, a little bit of a drop in the second week. How much do you think the the overall, you know, I guess the the partnership with ESPN and then the, you know, just having more exposure on these major networks compared to the Alliance and the presentation of it has been really strong in terms of a broadcast with the announcers and and everything else. How much do you think that's helped, you know, sort of get the league off to a strong start these first two weeks? Oh, I think it's helped tremendously because, you know, the production is, is so uh, transparent. I think people are loving that. The announcers are not the uh, not the D team. Um, you know, they, they've got some pretty good announcers on there. Um, and uh, I think that uh, it's only going to grow. People are going to keep watching it um, as the season goes on. Um, there, there's going to become some diehard fans. And I think that their numbers are ahead of ahead of schedule. Um, and if they can continue to grow them, um, part of the plan is in three years to uh, to get a new broadcast deal uh, with a lot more money. Um, and they're you know they're in it for three years pretty much, from what I understand. Um, and uh, the other thing is uh, with the uh, with the television. I love the fact that they're on different networks and the games are on. You never catch two games at one time. They're all, you know, I've watched every single game, every minute, every play of every game because you're able to do that. Um, You know, we're we're on the East Coast, so the games are starting at 2 p.m. and 5 p.m. on Saturday and the same thing on Sunday, although I think this week I think they switched to 3 p.m and 6 p.m. on Sunday. Um, so I love the fact that you can watch all the games, and I think that's only going to help the TV ratings. And they are also going to have a couple Thursday night games later in the season, uh, which I think will be well-received as well. Uh, before we let you go, Pat, I just want to ask you about uh, the D.C. Defenders a little bit because uh, they are uh, littered with uh, Buffalo Connections. But most notably, uh, Cardell Jones has really been 
well, you don't want to say he's a breakout star, but at least in the XFL, he's he's, pretty close. He, he's garnered a lot of the headlines. He's been playing very well. Former Bills quarterback, didn't work out here. Um, but we may be seeing kind of the resurrection of, of a career in some regards, uh, and that's what yeah. the XFL is supposed to be about. So, I mean, do you have any uh, thoughts on what you've seen out of Cardell Jones so far? Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on Cardell Jones. Um, you know, I, I grew up a Penn State fan, so I saw him at Ohio State. Um, and um, he he really didn't get a chance to play all that much in college. He only started 11 games in his college career, um, and he just hasn't had a lot of playing time. And I think now that he's getting that playing time, you're going to see him really evolve. And right now he's been the second-best quarterback in the league um, behind uh, P.J. Walker down in uh, Houston. Um who's been clearly the MVP. Um, but I think Cardell is, uh, is the next guy in line. And I think he's only going to get better. The more, the more playing time he gets, um, you know, by the end of the season, he's going to get himself into an NFL training camp and have a real shot at making a roster. How does it work, Pat? And I guess maybe for education purposes, I'm not entirely sure. So I'm guessing that the members of our uh, whoever's listening, uh, whether it be on the podcast or, or live here on the air, um, how does it work if you are in the XFL and you're a guy like Cardell Jones? What are your contract restrictions when it comes to joining the NFL? Do you have? And yeah, when that's, do you, a gr- that's a great question. You have to wait until the end of the XFL season. Um, and that's April 26th. That's the date of the championship game. After that, everybody from the XFL is basically like an undrafted free agent. You can go out and, uh, and negotiate with them and sign them. And, you know, from what I've been hearing, there's going to be probably somewhere around 100 guys are going to get signed, and maybe 20 or 30 of them will make – NFL rosters. Um, so it's, it's going to add to the talent pool. Um, and like you said, you know, redemption is a big part of this. Really, there's a lot of guys that, uh, that belong in the NFL and have the talent to be there, but for whatever reason aren't there. And they're going to get that chance now because of the exposure they're getting. Well, Pat, thanks for uh, joining us on the NCCC Thunderwolves Hotline. And, uh, sure thing. Good to talk to you again, Great, friend. Yeah, great to talk to you, too. I'm uh, going to be enjoying your coverage uh, through uh, the rest of the season and beyond. And uh, a lot of great storylines uh, at the XFL. As, as you said, redemption. Um, and, and that's just on the field. And then the other things that are going on with the league uh, that everybody's going to be watching, looking to implement, adopt into their broadcasts, adopt into how they run their uh, their leagues or their franchises. So uh, pretty, pretty compelling stuff uh, with the XFL. Thanks for talking with us about it. Thank you very much. All right. Hopefully we cross paths soon here, Pat. Anytime. All right, that was Pat Yasinskis on the NCCC Thunderwolves Hotline. Come be a part of a winning team at Niagara County Community College. When we come back, we're going to have uh, more Bills talk, more Sabres talk. We're also going to hear from Jason Lloyd of The Athletic on John Beeline and what's going on with the Cleveland Cavaliers uh, on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK, coming up right after this. Show.
because then where do the requests stop? There was no way. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. Tim Graham Show. This is Sports Radio 1270. Just not hitting the hole. The fan. I know I'm going to get pimped. I love sausage. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber, it's all about the hole. Tim Graham Show. I diddled uh, some pole. Uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. I did have an accident with a menorah Here we once. Go. On Twitter at 1270, a fan. Wet ball. Taking your calls at 270 1270. What's up, baby? How you doing? Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. When's the last time you read the New Testament, huh? I'm trying to put my junk back in place. You're one of the guys I'm following on Twitter, you know. Well, I like this guy, uh, Tim Graham. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo Travis Besaw and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants, right here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. I'm Tim Graham from The Athletic, here with Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein Amalgamated for all your sports writing construction needs. Reach out to Bronstein Amalgamated. 888-8888. I want to know who's going to get the number from when Salino and Barnes finally break up. Somebody's going to get three of the eights, and somebody's going to get four of the eights, <laughs> or and they're going to have to mix it up. They're going to do three, three, and two people are going to get four. Somebody's going to get four, somebody else will get four. It'd be 888-4888-4. Excuse me. Never mind. That's Bobby Rosati contributing yeah. to the show. <laughs> and Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic, he's here too. This uh, Deontay Wilder-Tyson Fury uh fight i mean the espn has really been cramming that down our throats for weeks now every time i go to look for a college basketball game they're replaying the original fight on espn and like i don't really care about this it's on the tv here in the studio which is why i bring it up i mean this is deontay wilder is a pretty talented boxer and i know that this is a, a rematch from a a fight that was entertaining but i mean we didn't get this kind of coverage when Mike Tyson was at his peak, but ESPN has the rights and they're involved in it in some way. And they're selling the pay-per-view. They are just, yeah. And it, it's, they're just trying to make it a thing and people will watch it because of the promotional aspect of it here. I mean, this stuff does work. It'll get some pay-per-view buys, but boxing is just, I don't know. I just have no interest. This in it fight anymore. seems like a thing though. I mean, look, we're watching FS1 right now and they're doing this big you know, promotion right now. So it's not just ESPN being the promoter and inflating. It's a heavyweight title, and these are two people that they're not huge names like Mike Tyson, but people recognize their names and maybe know a little bit why this is a important fight. <laughs> <laughs> this is a guy who wouldn't... Uh, Fury wouldn't get a sniff at a title belt 10 years ago. But anyway... Now, why do you say that? Because you said that last night. He's he's not undefeated, but he hasn't lost. He only has the tie. Well, I guess that's undefeated. But there's a kind of well, – well, you you know this a little bit more than me. It's sort of he has a one blemish on his record, but otherwise he's got a good record. He seems to be a be- big, powerful puncher. Well, it's it's all relative to who you're fighting. And the heavyweight division, much and all the divisions are really watered down compared to what they used to be. They keep, they keep getting weaker and weaker. So – He's able to go around and cherry. You can cherry pick fights all day uh, to to remain undefeated. 
What about his claim that he's the lineal heavyweight champion? You don't he buy is. that? No, no, he is. I mean, that's something that is proven. The, the, the word lineal goes back to, you're, that's essentially, I'm the man who beat the man who beat the man who beat the man. And doesn't that give him a So that takes him all the way back here? to Jack Johnson or whomever. Right. Um, but as, as the sport atrophies, then it's not that tough to be the man who beat the man who beat the man who beat the man. You know, it's... it's, it's uh, it, It's all relative to your current opposition. You know, there are some lineal champions. I have to bring it up here. Maybe we have Chad DiDominicis waiting on the line here. I don't want to leave him waiting too long. But I'll bring up the lineal championship. And there have been some duds in there. But anyways, yeah, I probably should have had some something here in front of me to bring up this point. But it was on our screen here in the studio. I wanted to bring it up. It is a big event this week. I'm probably going to watch the fight. I'm going to go to uh, Amherst Pizza and Ale House. They're showing it. Free plug for those guys, for John Bonas organization. It seems to be the first time in a while that I remember a heavyweight fight getting this kind of attention. But I'm not going because I need to see this fight. I'm going because they're having an event and I'll go there and have some wings and drink some beers and there'll be a fight on the... I don't. Are you being paid to appear there? <laughs> Last time I was there, Trainwreck Sports was there. Joe Macy was there. All kinds of celebrities. Not me. I'm not including myself in that. Jonah Bronstein was there. I was there, yeah. All right, Chad Dinaminisis is on the line. He's joining us here on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Chad, thanks for joining us on short notice today. Yeah, no problem at all. So here's the thing, Chad, and as I texted you, uh, and I don't know if you heard the setup to the show at 4 o'clock when we, when we got started on this whole Jack Eichel trade situation. Uh, well, all right. Let me, <laughs> hang on a second. Yeah, let me. I'm sorry. It's getting stronger <laughs> no, and stronger yeah. with every segment. <laughs> my my musing of Jack Eichel being traded uh, because hey, if uh, a Buffalo sports fan is okay with trading Pat Mahomes, or they say they would not trade uh, three guys for Pat Mahomes right now because the Bills fans are convinced that they have their guys on the roster and it's better than having Patrick Mahomes. Therefore, logic would dictate then you should be okay with trading Jack Eichel for three or four guys. So the reason I reached out to Chad at the last minute, guys, is that I thought Chad could come up with or concoct perhaps some sort of trade. I don't, I don't know that he can. Is there some trade that uh, that you think Sabres fans wouldn't re- revolt over? No, no. I mean, I, I really tried to think about it, and no. I mean, that's like that's your trading for. Connor McDavid, like I don't, what it doesn't, you don't get the value of doing that. I mean, you you can trade them for a package. You can trade them to San Jose and Timo Meyer is part of the package. You can trade them to, I, I don't know, anywhere. You can trade them to Boston and, and get a, a package out of that because you're from Boston. It's just you, you don't ever recoup it. You don't ever recoup the same value. I mean, we've seen it. We, we've in the NHL, we've seen Tyler Sagan get traded. You don't, it doesn't work for the team that traded him for Boston. You know, we've, Taylor Hall was just moved. Uh, it, you know, that doesn't really look great for New Jersey. It didn't look great for Edmonton when they did it. They, they got Adam Larson. Like it, you just, you don't get the same value when you move players of that caliber. And, and I mean, in, in Sagan and Larson, if you, or Sagan and Hall, I'm sorry, at this point, you could even say they're not even at, really that Michael level the way he's playing right now, especially a player at his age. Just 
And when I texted you, my initial thought is, you know, that that would be a kill shot for the organization. I think that would be the day that fans say, I'm, uh, I'm done, I'm not doing this anymore because, like, you just you can't recoup the value. And I legitimately try to think of something you could do, and, and I landed on, like, McDavid or, like, Crosby in his prime. And, and that's the only way you kind of get fair value, and you're not getting anything close to fair value. You'll get more players. And sure, you'll have more players. You'll have three good players, but you're not going to have the elite player. I mean, and, you know, I don't want to have angry Bills fans tweeting at me, but, like, I, I don't know. I, I would trade Pat Mahomes those three players in a second. He touches the ball every single play. He's the most player, most important player on the, on the team. Of course you would do that. He's the best quarterback in the league. So, like, you would say that, but, like, realistically, when you have the chance to get the best player in the league, no matter how many pieces you give up, you, you would do that. I'm not saying Eichel's the best player in the league, but he's playing, like, one of the top five players in the league this year. So it's just you really can't recoup your value in any way. Chad, how much does the emotional investment that the Sabres fans put into Mick Eichel, not whether it was going to be Connor McDavid or Jack Eichel back during the tank season, how much does that psychological aspect, the commitment, the, as I phrased it in my mailbag, the Andy Dufresne sludge pipe that they had to come through uh, to get their, uh, their prized uh, franchise player, uh, does how much does that play into any kind of uh, idea that, that that it would be ridiculous to trade Jack Eichel? Yeah, I mean that's a big part of it. You know, I mean this. You know, it, it was five six years ago that the organization went through what they went through uh, to get this player, and I, I mean you're really seeing. I mean he's been great throughout his entire career in Buffalo, but now you're, this is the first season really you're seeing him. Being an elite player and people around the league acknowledge that he is an elite player. And I, I'm at the point where I think if this team was within contention of a playoff spot, he is one of the top three people for the, the Hart Trophy probably. That's how well he's playing this year. So, I, like you said, it goes back. You have that connection. He's always he's been the guy. He's been the face. He he's the captain of the team now. It it it's his team, and. To move away from that, you know, when you have fans as they are hanging on by a thread, to consider moving that or even doing that, I just I don't know how the organization honestly recovers. I mean, they're literally not going to move away, but like you just I don't know. You lose fans. You lose fans. Your building starts to get empty, and it's just it's an ugly, ugly scene if, if it ever came to that day. Yeah, it'd be a worse version of the Red Sox trading Mookie Betts, right? Like, Yeah. Yep. Because at least the Red Sox have won World Series. They're still spending quite a bit of money. They'll still be competitive. But the whole point of having a sports team is to have the player like Mookie Betts or have Jack Eichel, not to get rid of him. You know, that there's not a whole lot of point in that. Chad, what do you think in terms of trades that might actually happen, not Jack Eichel, uh, what would constitute a successful trade deadline for the Sabres in your mind? Uh, I think my opinion of a successful one and what will really happen are, are different. You know, a successful one is you trade, you know, whether it be Montour or Ristolainen and, and return for a top six forward, preferably a center. Um, so maybe an ideal trade is Ristolainen or Montour to Florida for Trocek. Like that, that's the success. You get a top six center uh, who's pretty young and you move out from an area that you have, you know, a surplus. Um, so I think that'd be a success. Realistically, what I think happens is 
we just see a couple of free agents move, Sherry, Larson probably, um, and then, you know, somebody walks to D.C. or Gergensen, sure. But, um, yeah, I, I don't think we're in much for, for much of anything, especially when you look around the league and, you know, a handful of defense were just traded over the last two days. It kind of feels like everybody kind of has their guy, and maybe Florida the only team is defenseman needy who doesn't have their guy, so maybe, you know, that's, that's kind of the last hope. But, um, yeah, I, I think you're in for, I don't want to say dull. I think they'll do one or two things, but it's not going to be anything by any means going to be exciting. That's for sure. Chad, are you then, uh, is this just you being pessimistic because you're so done with uh, Jason Bottrell that uh, that you're just preparing yourself for to be disappointed? I mean, that's, that's part of it. it, it you know, and then, like I said, look around the league, just, there's, there's no partners left. Everybody has a defenseman. Vegas made their move today to get Martinez. Um, you know, other right-handed defense around the league move. Winnipeg, who's been a rumored team, finally made their move to get the defenseman, so they're off the list. Who's left? Who is left besides Florida? I mean, you know, Montreal, they, they could want to defend them, but they're not going to do that now. You know, they're trying to get rid of their own players. Uh, there was talks of Max, Max Domi being available, but that was kind of shot down by Friedman, so that's really not the case. So Toronto is not going to move anybody big to get one of those defensemen off your roster. You know, they just made him, you know, an AHL move, but, you know, they're not going to do that. So, you know, there, there's no part, there's nobody left. And it's just, you know, this guy, you talked about it before on here, it's just, you know, it's waiting and waiting and waiting, and it's, it's never coming. It's, you know, it feels a lot like kind of like that, in a way, it could set up the kind of that Tim Murray final trade deadline he had where he just didn't do anything. And, you know, like I said, I think they'll move out a free agent guy or two, but I, I just don't see the partners anymore to kind of make something big happen and, you know, it, it's unfortunate that we're going to get to this point where he's going to go all season without the only help that he provided for his roster was Michael Froelich, who played eight minutes a night before he got sick. So, like, you know, what, what did that really do for you? Chad, how much does what you're talking about the last few weeks, even since we last talked to you and things were really bad, uh, there have been deals around the league. I mean, how much does each deal that gets made kind of build a, an even stronger case for getting rid of Jason Bottrell. I mean, it does. I mean, especially especially when you have Montreal, who just who traded for Scandella six weeks ago, flip him for a second-round pick six weeks later. I mean, that's, say what you will about St. Louis being desperate in the market change, but, I mean, that's, regardless, that's a bad look for your general manager. You know, so, I, I mean, it's it just... You see all the insiders just tweeting out. He's trying. He's you know he's looking, but don't make a trade with him. I don't. I don't know. I see trades happening all the time. Like, so I, I don't know what it is. Is, is he being? Is, is his asking price too high and risk aligning? That wouldn't surprise me. You know, I, I think I think he likes the player, and I think he thinks he's better than he actually is. And other GMs and teams on the league, you know, don't really just buy the big guy who hit sort of thing. Like they they kind of they kind of know. They know about him and. You know, maybe you're going to try to throw Montour out there now, but he really hasn't played that great this season. And again, you know, teams watch games. You know, you're not really going to roll run by a lot of teams here. So you know, he put himself in a tough spot. The time to move one of these guys was in the summer to get your top six forward. In season, you know, if you don't see those players move, so, you know, I mean, you can try to pull it off, but, it, you know, it goes back to inaction you know, last summer or even last season when his team was drowning and again he sat in his hands. And, you know, he kind of 
in a way, to the same thing with the goaltending years. They, they were afraid to play Carter Hutton for a month, and now they're afraid to play Johansson because, you know, he hasn't really played that well. So why wouldn't you go out and get a goaltender when Allmark went down if you had realistic, you know, expectations or aspirations to be a playoff? You, you just sat on your hands. And it, it's just, it, it's not necessarily the moves he's made. It's the constant inaction that has set this team back. And, you know, here we are again, you know, middle of February and the season's over. I mean, you didn't even make it to the deadline. And it's, it's unfortunate how that goes every year now, it appears. Here we are again. The final words from Chad Dedeminisis on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Chad, thanks for joining us on short notice. And uh, I'm sure we'll be having you uh, back again. Maybe we'll uh, do it again on uh, next Wednesday. We'll recap what did not happen at the trade deadline. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. That's Chad Dedeminisis on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Come be a part of a winning team at Niagara County Community College. Uh, when we come back, Jason Lloyd from the Athletic Cleveland to talk about John Beeline and his departure from the Cleveland Cavaliers. When we come back on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK. Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. The Tim Graham. Welcome to The Tim Graham Show. Welcome back to The Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK. Here on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Tim Graham here with Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic, Jonah Bronstein, Bobby Rosati on the board. Keeping us from being bored. Keeping us from being bored is our next guest, Jason Lloyd of The Athletic, joining us now on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Jason Lloyd is of The Athletic Cleveland, but where most people know him from is former sports writer at the Lorraine Morning Journal. That's exactly right, yes. That's That's where I'm most famous. (laughs) (laughs) You and me both. That's right, brother. How are you? I'm doing great. Jason, I, I hesitate to. He wasn't a discovery of mine, but I was the editor of a very young, still in high school, Jason Lloyd. Uh, I was about nineteen, I think, when we met. And I would edit incredibly bad stories by people who were took up sports writing as a hobby, like the sixty-year-old farmer who would only cover the one high school's football games. Or what? Because that's where he lived, or that whatever, and they'd make twenty-five bucks a story or something like that. And then all of a sudden, this Jason Lloyd started writing for the Morning Journal, and I was like, "Look at! Did we just lose him? <laughs> he hung up on me." He thinks you're Jason talking about Ballin these back. are the bad stories you edited. Yes, that's what it sounded like. I would edit the bad <laughs> stories with Jason Lloyd. <laughs> no, Jason, I finally got to edit. Some, I was like, "Yeah, this guy's going to be good." If you're going to keep saying nice things about me, I'm going to hang up on you again. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for calling back. See, you're diligent. You're a professional. I knew I saw something in you. Anyways, nobody wants nobody wants to hear about uh, uh, Avon Lake uh, volleyball stories, you know, or That's right. uh, or right. uh, Westlake uh, Westlake uh, girls basketball. Vermilion Sailors. Vermilion. That's right. Ask him the lady question. Okay, well, we were talking about it earlier. It's it's an old argument that you have, and it just happened to come up on the show. The whole lady 
nickname. Like when you're talking about uh, women's lady warriors, the Cleveland yep. State yep. Lady Vikings. Yep. yep. Uh, we are we are all here against it. Are you for sexism? I'm totally I'm totally against it. Okay. You're the Vikings. You're the Vikings. You're the Warriors. You're the Warriors. We have an issue here uh, at the University of Buffalo. They are the Bulls, and they were the Lady Bulls for a while. They've kind of dropped that, but the, a, la- awful. a Lady Bull would be a cow. Is a lady Bull. A lady Bull is a oh, cow. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. And you certainly don't want to call them the cows. You don't. That would be bad. What do you think about our alternate proposal to call the men's team the fella teams? Yeah, the fella. The fella bulls. The fella warriors. <laughs> instead of the lady warriors. You against that? Did you hang up again? What the hell's going on over there? What's happening in Cleveland? Every time Bobby hits his vape, no feedback. we lose the He doesn't phone. like our idea. What's happening? Bobby's earning his money today. What's happening over there? Well, apparently Cleveland needs to upgrade its cell towers. <laughs> I'm on I'm on the highway driving to the Cavs facility. I take this road all the time. I've never had an issue with it. Now you call, and I'm sabotaged. I see. Well, I think you might be getting some phone calls because just five minutes ago, John Beeline officially resigned, which you're aware of. I'm saying that for the audience's sake. Oh, crap. But- I gotta go. <laughs> you, you have been all over this story for the athletic. You and your crew there in Cleveland, uh, Jason. What's it's been unraveling for weeks. Uh, but what Fun. what was the? Why did this have to happen? What what when? What became the point of no return? I mean, frankly, the point of no return really was January eighth at the uh, team film session at the hotel in Detroit when John called the players. Thugs, and it, it sounds. A lot of people say, "What is the big deal?" Well, in the locker room, it was a very big deal, and a lot of guys didn't appreciate the explanation. They thought it was a false flip of the explanation of, "Oh, I'm sorry, I'm in thugs." A lot of guys didn't buy it. You know, we, we talked to Shams and I, and Joe Varden talked to quite a few players over the course of the last three or four days, and the, the consensus seemed to be that he could come back for that. He wasn't coming back for that. To the point where now I just wonder why they, why did they fire him in January? Why not just fire him in January? Because it's clearly when he lost the locker room. You know, we reported today that the players would play songs with Doug lyrics anytime he was around getting on the bus. They would play songs, Tupac, uh, Bone Thugs and Harmony, anything like that. And you know, we were told today that it was kind of it was kind of a joke to sort of lighten the mood, but you know, it was also pretty passive aggressive as well. Uh, so that's really where he lost them. I just think it was it was a bad fit all the way around. You know, John's lost 40 games this year, and I think over his last four years at Michigan, he lost 40 games. And I remember when he was introduced at his introductory press conference, I said basically that exact question. Like, how are you going to handle this? You've never lost many games. You're going to lose more games in the next, you know, 9, 10, 11 months than you've lost in the last four or five years combined. And he seemed to think that he'd be okay with handling it. Well, he wasn't. And his system didn't really apply. He tried to bring some of his college ways here, and these guys rejected it. And it was really a mismatch from the start. They got off to a bad start really in summer league, and then in the training camp in preseason, we had heard that he was already miserable. But you, tra- you want to give him a chance. You don't want to write in training camp if the head coach is miserable and regrets his decision. That doesn't feel like it's fair to him. You want to give him an opportunity just because it's a rocky start. You want to give him an opportunity to try and figure it out. 
and sort of smooth out the waters, and that just never happened. When do you think he began to regret his decision to leave college? September. <laughs> okay. If not before. I really do. And that's why I said, like, you know, I had heard even in, in training camps, where the end of training camp preseason, that he was just miserable. And, you know, some of the stuff that went on with Patrick had a lot to do with that. And that was made very clear to us over the course of the last few days that, you know, he was embarrassed by the situation and he was embarrassed by uh, Patrick having to resign and more or less being forced out of Niagara before ever coaching his first game. And, and that weighed heavily on him. Uh, and and the, the fit just wasn't right with, with the NBA. And that was weighing heavily on him. So I think almost immediately, really, he regretted it. And it's funny because so many people kind of warned him that when he was at Michigan. And he was always sort of looking at the NBA from afar. And he talked to the Pistons. He kicked the tires with the Hawks. And people, both professionally and personally, kind of warned him, hey, your style may not translate. But he always thought he, he, he wanted to give it a chance. He wanted to see if he could do it or not. He got his answer. He was so miserable, he left $12 million on the table just to get out. We're in conversation with Jason Lloyd. Uh, he's uh, been all over the John Beeline story for The Athletic in Cleveland, and he's joining us here on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Uh, Jason, you mentioned Patrick and uh, his uh, scandal at Niagara University and him being uh, forced to resign before coaching a game and how much that impacted John. How much did that resonate in Cleveland? How much did the Niagara situation, uh, I guess, word and, and the um, the story, anything behind the scenes that made its way to Cleveland? Because it's been pretty quiet uh, up here uh, about what happened with Patrick, But and I don't want to get into you know innuendo or anything like that, but what, sure. I guess, how, how much did it uh, reverberate uh, down I-90? Zero. No, not even a blip. And, you know... As you know, Tim, we started to dig into it because I thought that there was a possibility, you know, Patrick to wind up on the Cavs staff next year. Um, you know, what's really going on here? We'd heard a lot of rumors and, you know, some of the stuff that we were beginning to uncover, you know, we were really starting to dig in and look into this. And for, for my purposes in Cleveland, as, you know, the head of Cleveland, if I'm being totally frank and transparent, it became pretty clear early on that John probably wasn't long for this job. So it kind of lost my interest a little bit, me personally, because we weren't going to have any ties or connections to it. The amount of time it was going to take for us to report on this and do a due diligence and and really kind of get to the facts of this, by the time we got to the bottom of it and were able to print, this was probably going to be the outcome, that John was going to be gone. I don't think anyone thought it was going to be at the All-Star break, but nobody around the NBA was surprised by this. That, that John was going to be one and done. I, you know, that was that was the feeling Shams was getting. Shams, I was not at All-Star Weekend in Chicago, but Shams was. And he talked to a number of people, uh, GMs and high-level executives, who all felt like John was out at the end of the year. And then, obviously, that timeline got advanced up. But to answer your original question, nobody cared about Patrick. Nobody in Cleveland. It barely registered a blip. Tom, or, uh, I'm sorry, John put something out on his Twitter account saying that, you know, his thoughts are with his family and with his son at this difficult time and, and, you know, the standard line of that. And beyond that, everyone else moved on. Did you ever see Patrick around the Cavs facility at all this season? I did not, no. But in fairness, I'm not there every day. Kelsey Russo is our Cavs writer. Uh, I, I covered the Cavs for, you know, close to 10 years during the LeBron heyday. When LeBron left, I sort of transitioned out of that role. 
So I've probably been to about 30% of the home games, and I don't travel anymore with the Cavs. So I'm probably not the best one to ask that. But me personally, no, I did not see him around. And in fact, John's wife really stopped coming around. She even stopped coming to the games toward the end that, it, you know, I think she was so unhappy and felt so badly for him. And they had lost so much interest that even his wife, you know, a couple of players said they, they stopped seeing her coming around. What do you think changed from John Beeline's perspective in the last few weeks or even days to where it did, when the, you know, the thug-slugs controversy came out a couple weeks ago, it didn't seem like John Beeline was ready to resign over that. But now it does seem like he's changed his mind in some way. He's given up this $12 million guaranteed. Do you have any insight as to whether maybe he knows what his next step is and that facilitated this decision? Well, I think that he wants to get back into coaching. I mean, obviously, he gave up twelve million dollars. So, I, you know, I, at first, when this started becoming apparent to me, I thought, "Man, just take your money and go retire, and just go play with your grandkids." And I, I don't mean that in a in a harsh, insensitive way at all. I mean that as in a you had a wonderful career, you've had a terrific college career. Everyone, when he was hired, had nothing but wonderful things to say about what a wonderful man he is and what a great coach he is. Man, just go right off in the sunset and enjoy your family. But he's just not wired that way. And I think the timing of this very much has to do with positioning him for college jobs. Had he waited till the end of the season, had he waited until, you know, mid to end of April for this, you know, he may not have been in position to get what he wants. So I think by doing it now, by making a clean break, and, you know, I give him credit because a lot of people in his position would have forced them to fire him. He would have found a way to get them to fire him to where he would have got to keep the money, and he didn't do that. And he walked away from the money. He's made it clear to players' private conversations that that's not what really drives him. Money isn't what drives him. He's he's more concerned with happiness than when, with financial. And, I mean, let's be honest, he's made plenty of money during his college coaching career as well. So I think all those factors played into it. Um, I think he knew quite a while ago that this wasn't going to work, and they were just looking for the right time to do it. Jason, before we let you go, any thoughts on what happens next with the Cavs and their head coaching search? Well, it's going to be J.B. Bickerstaff. He's already been promoted. Uh, J.B., this is kind of his so thing. So it's, inter- it's not an interim situation with him? No, okay. no. I, it's my understanding, and we'll find out. We'll get clarity on that here in probably about 20 minutes or so. But it's my understanding it's J.B.'s job going forward. He will not be in the interim coach. He is the head coach. This is a similar situation to what he faced in Houston. Coach was fired. He stepped in. In Memphis, David Fisdale was fired. J.B. stepped in. This is kind of his thing. And, you know, again, he's another one. And people I've talked to around the league rave about him. What a great guy he is. What a great human he is. High character guy. Uh, he'll, you know, he'll, he's sort of an old school coach. And he'll be fine in that role. And, you know, it just makes me wonder if this was, if, you know, this, the Cavs did this once before, really. When they hired David Black, that was a total Dan Gilbert move. The Cavs owner wanted Black. Nobody else in the organization wanted him. And they thought it wasn't going to work. So they went and got Tyron Lue made him the highest-paid coach in NBA history, highest-paid assistant coach, gave him about $2 million a year to get him away from Doc Rivers and to come in and sort of be on hand to, A, ease the transition for Blatt, and, B, clean up the mess if and when it imploded. And that's exactly what happened. And now here we are again, only a couple years later, where it feels very much like the same situation, where you know it's another out-of-the-box hire a little bit, a guy who's a four-year-plus college career coach who comes in, so they make JB one of the highest paid assistant coaches. They're paid at one point six billion, which is really high by NBA assistant standards. And he was around to either trans- ease the transition 
or to clean up the mess. And yet again, he's here to clean up the mess. Being that this is the third time with J.B. Bickerstaff taking over in midseason for a coach that got fired, is that a coincidence? Is that any sort of pattern? I think it's coincidence more than anything. Uh, you know, I, I, I know, I actually, I know JB's wife a little bit, and he's got three beautiful young kids, and I think that they would like to have a little bit of stability. You know, I think that they would hope that they're going to be here for a while. Uh, you know, it was funny, I was uh, joking with, with Nikki, his wife, in the fall. I'm like, well, you guys are only going to be here for a year, meaning that, you know, he would move on and get a head coaching job somewhere else. She's like, oh, God, please don't say that, because they're just tired of moving. They're tired of the NBA. And now, listen. They, he makes very good money, obviously, uh, but it's still money can't buy everything. And when you do have three kids elementary school age and you have to drag them from Houston to Memphis to Cleveland, it's hard. It's hard on the kids to constantly start over, to constantly changing schools, changing houses, making new friends. It's hard on kids. And, you know, I, I think that the bigger staffs at this point are kind of hoping that, that they can find some stability here for a while. But I wouldn't hold my breath because JB is going to be the sixth Cavs coach in the last seven years. Jason, polish up that resume. Right? Right? Hey, I'm, you're, I'm you're not, going anywhere. You're one step closer I'm, in line to being the next Cavs coach. I promise you that will not happen. In fact, they may have armed guards. I just pulled in. They may have armed guards at the doors to block out any athletic reporters because I think that they – me, Joe, and Shams, and Kelsey Russo have pretty much worn them out for the last four days, so I don't think they're going to be very happy to see any of us. So they keep zapping your cell phone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. It's their fault. They should be happy with the sweet, sweet release of John Beeline's retirement now that uh, now maybe you can get back to writing some other things that don't wear them out. Yeah, exactly. We'll see. It's always something with this team. Thanks. It's always something. Thanks for doing this, Jason. Very nice of you, and hopefully we cross paths soon. You gonna be uh, in Indy next week? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I'll see. Uh, I'll see yeah. you at the combine. I'll see you there. I'll All right, see you there. Sounds good, buddy. Thank you. That was Jason Lloyd of the Athletic Cleveland on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Come be a part of a winning team at Niagara County Community College, where John Beeline might be coaching. Maybe the maybe uh, we'll they get... don't need him. They're doing fine with Bill Beeline. They don't need John Beeline. Maybe he can come sit behind the bench and help <laughs> out a little bit. Do some scouting reports. We may, yeah, we may see John knocking around Western New York. Although John did very well back in the day at Erie Community College. Oh. And at Canisius. Well, really everywhere but Cleveland. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk about lineal heavyweight champions. Ugh. We're going to talk about uh, whether or not we really should care about this fight on Saturday night beyond an excuse to go out and have some wings and some beers. When we come back on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK. Check it out. Tim Graham Show. It's going to be 92. Sports Radio 1270, The Fan, and Radio 1270.com. I love everyone in Buffalo. I love Tim Graham. God bless everyone in Cephalon to Buffalo. The Tim Graham Show. This is Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirchner, CPAs and business consultants. Right cheer on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Tim Graham here with Matthew Fairburn, Jonah Bronstein, producer Bobby Rosati. 
And uh, we spoke earlier in regard to this Tyson Fury Deontay Wilder rematch about the watered down heavyweight division and Tyson Fury, if uh, he's legitimate. And he's legitimate for today, but I don't think he gets a sniff of the title 10 years ago because boxing continues to deteriorate. It's waning. And relative to his competition, that's how you become a champion. So Jonah had brought up the lineal championship. Tyson Fury is the heavyweight champion in a lineal sense. And what that means is the man who beat the man who beat the man who beat the man on back through history. So Tyson Fury is the linear champion because he beat Vladimir Klitschko who beat Lennox Lewis. Well, Vladimir Klitschko becomes the lineal champion because Lennox Lewis retired. So you need to give it to then. There are instances where somebody doesn't become the lineal champion just because they beat somebody. Um, somebody may have retired and then that person becomes a champion. He would go on. Well, it has to happen at some point if you want to keep it going or else the title, the lineal champion just ends. And then you have to pick it up somewhere else. But anyway, Tyson Fury took it from Vladimir Klitschko, who took it from Lennox Lewis, who was beaten by Hasim Rahman, or I guess who beat he, in the rematch. Lennox Lewis beat Hasim Rahman, who previously beat Lennox Lewis, who beat Shannon Briggs. Not, I mean, come on. Who beat George Foreman. A 40-year-old George Foreman who beat Michael Moorer, who beat Evander Holyfield, who beat Riddick Bowe, who beat Evander Holyfield, who beat Buster Douglas. So there are some duds in there. Shannon Briggs, most notably. Sure, but Michael I'm not saying Moore. that all of the lineal heavyweight champions are great fighters, or but at this point in time, isn't that an important fight for Deontay Wilder to beat the lineal heavyweight champion? Meh. From a promoting the fight standpoint? Sure, but that the linear champion really in linear lineal interchangeable uh but they don't need that i mean th that was never really a thing i mean it was a nice little honor to have a little factoid and the years that i covered boxing i think i may have mentioned the linear champion once or twice in a in a story yeah it's kind of a neat and uh, fine but that's never really been any kind of fighters that never drove a, a boxer to become a champion. There was never any difference between uh, the lineal champion versus the WBC champion versus the WBA champion versus the IBF champion versus the WBO. I mean, there's so many different ways to be considered a champion in boxing that I guess if you're a history purist, that's what you would want to do is be the lineal champion if you want to be any champion. But usually what it comes down to was finding the weakest of the four major champions. There are four. And find the weakest one and go beat him. And then you'd be a champion. Which is what I thought was going to happen with Joe Macy. I thought for sure Joe Macy was going to become a heavyweight champion at some point. Um, before health issues got in the way. Uh, the brain bleed that stopped him from getting licensed in the places where you can make the most money. Like Nevada. Like New York. Um, and he was forced to go to backwater states that didn't have strong boxing commissions. And, uh, he went to Puerto Rico, he went overseas anyways. 
Um, but yeah, that's generally what you do is as you're building up your career, you want to stay undefeated for as long as you can for promotional purposes. And then you find your way up the rankings to where you earn these different fights. And a lot of it's just reputation or what they hope of you. That's the WBC saw a future star in Joe Macy from a, you know, kind of a promotional standpoint. And he had the nice record and great guy, great story, class act, the whole thing. Got to be number one and would have had a chance at a, at a world title if not for the the uh the brain bleed multiple i think two at least two maybe maybe three i'm going back on my reporting on that i for sure it was it was two but i think there was a possible third mentioned in the in the report in the medical reports anyways um and that was from the vasily jiroff fight in las vegas and so that's why nevada suspended his license and wouldn't allow them to fight in their state anymore because they have a strict policy about brain bleeds. And once you've had one, you can never be licensed to box in the state of Nevada again. And uh, then there was federal legislation that said, if you're suspended in one state, you're suspended in all states to stop you from shopping your services around or being denied in one place. Anyways. What do you think about the... I think he would have been a champion eventually. What do you, just what do you think about the wrestler not being allowed to wrestle because he had an ingrown hair on his neck? Section 6 tournament. I've... I don't know all the details on that. I did see that that was reported out there, but you're okay with it. What's the no? I'm not okay there? with it. But what well, the I was reasoning waiting is for you if to you have in. any skin condition that might be contagious, you're disqualified. So I actually think they followed the letter of the rule, and I don't really have a big problem with it. But it does seem the doctor maybe was a little overzealous and diagnosed something that was just an ingrown hair as a contagious skin dis- disease or whatever it could have been SARS. Yeah. Sorry. Imagine all those poor kids with acne. You know, any high school kid, then, you know, sorry, your acne's too bad. And you can't play basketball. Tonight. Kids get disqualified from wrestling tournaments all the time for that, but it's not usually the for number acne? one seed in his senior year going to the state tournament. They get, I don't know, for skin, open rashes and things like can that. You cover it up. It's a serious. If somebody has a staph infection and wrestles on the mats, everybody that wrestles on that mat all day long could be exposed to that. That's a serious issue. So then they're very had, careful about yeah. that. But the doctor needs to be able to differentiate between what's a contagious rash and what's a normal red skin bump. Not as bad as the – didn't they not let the one kid fight somewhere because he had dreadlocks? Well, that was – yeah, and that I don't think is on the rules, but it's – They made him cut him off. That's a racist decision by the official, but – Where did that happen? It was out of state. I don't know. Yeah, out of Texas or something. All right, we need to. Uh, we have a hard out, as they like to say in the radio business, because Syracuse basketball against Louisville, Louisville. and big game. Park Schools Jordan Nuora is going to be going up again. This is, I guess, a home home game, or this is a homecoming game, is about as close as you get for Jordan. No, Nuora. I think the game's at Louisville. Oh, is it? it yeah. is, Yes. All right. Well, this... which is where he lives now, so I guess it's a bit of a yeah. Home it game. is. He's coming <laughs> home from somewhere. My thanks to uh, all our guests today, to uh, Die by the Blade managing editor Chad Dedeminisis, to XFL.com's Pat Yasinskis, and to The Athletic Cleveland's Jason Lloyd. Uh, my thanks to Matthew Fairburn and to Jonah Bronstein. My deepest of all thanks today goes to Bobby Rosati, who had to do things on the fly all day. He got us on the air, got the video up and running, last-second guests, doing it all. Getting crazy town for us, telling us fantasy island stories. <laughs> yeah. 
Fantasy Island closed. We didn't get to that. They did? Yeah. It oh. Happened. It happened today. <laughs> I had no idea. Bobby's I thought just... you guys were just talking about it. No. Yeah. Fantasy Island sh- permanently closed, Oops. according to the website today. Maybe they're being funded by John Beeline, and that was why they couldn't go on any longer. They don't have that $12 million. Right. All right. Thanks for listening to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo Travis Beesaw and Kirshner CPAs and business consultants. We'll be back here next week in some way, shape, or form from the Combine in Indianapolis or Jonah Bronstein as guest host. We'll, we'll find out. We'll figure that out in the next six days. Catch you next week. Oh, <laughs> my